Hey, well, look, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Glad to have you guys here with us. You guys excited to be at New Life Church today? Are you? I hope you are. I hope you are. Man, I want to say hello to everybody at all of our campuses today. We're so glad that you, you decided to join us here. This is week four of our teaching series that we've entitled Chosen. And really what we've been trying to do is get you guys to watch season one of The Chosen. There's three, there's three seasons. Uh, I was actually with someone uh, yesterday, and they said, hey, man, well, I took you up on that. I started watching season one, and I just have been binge-watching Jesus. I'm already in season three. I was like, well, congratulations, right? Uh, way to go, way to go. But uh, the, the bar is pretty low, just season one of The Chosen. You can binge-watch all of it if you want. That's cool. Uh, <clears throat> but look, I, today I want to stop and I want to focus in on one of the episodes in season one. It's episode number seven. And it's really where Jesus meets this guy called Nicodemus. Now, now, many of you may not even know, who is this Nicodemus guy? And so I kind of want to like set the character for you. I want you to understand, who is this man that Jesus is going to spend so much time with that you and me are going to hear about? And what in the world is it about this encounter that this guy has with Jesus that can actually impact my life? How can that actually change me? How can one conversation that one guy had with Jesus be relevant in my life today and change me? I think that's the question. Are you with me? You ready to go on the journey? All right. Have you heard words like Pharisee before? Okay. Nicodemus was one of those guys. Right, a Pharisee. So a Pharisee would have been, um, you know, very demonstrative and known in the community, known in Israel. Like Pharisees were the the, the priests of the day, right? And they loved the attention. They loved the, they loved the community seeing them doing their their priestly things like prayer and other sacraments and reading of the scrolls. They they loved the attention. They loved the name recognition. Uh, Nicodemus was one of those guys. All right, Nicodemus as a Pharisee means that he would also would have been like the enforcer, right, and the expert of now what we call the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament then, but it was, it was these books that had been written that they had the scrolls of, of, the, of uh, the beginnings like Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and then they had all of the other historical uh, writings, and they also had all of the prophet writings like Isaiah and Jeremiah, right? And so they would be experts at this, and they would uphold these 600-plus laws. Can you imagine this? 600 plus things that you had to know what to do or otherwise, you know, they would come down harshly on you and they would tell you that, look, you're not, you're not doing it good enough. You're not worshiping God good enough. You failed here. You need to adjust this. You need to change this. But most of the time, it was done with an iron fist. It wasn't done with a hug and with grace, right? It was, it was very condemning driven. And Nicodemus would have been one of these guys, Right? Nicodemus, he, he would have been one that also passed down these oral traditions. Um, he would have heard them from the, the Pharisees that had gone before him and the Pharisees that had gone before him and all the way into the Old Testament leadership. And they passed also, along with the written word, they passed these oral traditions. And then Nicodemus would have been one to hold the people not just to what was written that they knew, but also to the oral traditions that they didn't know, giving him this extra superiority. How many people know that when you've got information that others don't have, it makes you feel important, right? That's Nicodemus. He's, ha he's holding that. So Nicodemus is now part of the, one of the more strict religious sects of Judaism. 
That's who he is. But Nicodemus doesn't just stop there with him. So he's this religious law leader. But, but Nicodemus is also part of another group of people. Maybe you've heard this word, the Sanhedrin. Like the Sanhedrin would have been the judicial system um, of its time, right? And, and, and uh, Nicodemus was a part of that. He would have been part of these councils that would, would have written down laws. He would have held people accountable to things. They would have given verdicts on cases. So Nicodemus now was a man who held an amazing amount of power, an amazing amount of authority, and an incredible amount of status. Nicodemus would have been a very influential people person, excuse me, known throughout Israel. He would have had name recognition. Nicodemus would have been a highly educated man. This is the background of the man that we're going to look at that has an encounter with Jesus that's going to, in the end, change your life. So what is this saying really about Nicodemus? What is, what is his life? What does his normal, everyday life look like? Well, Nicodemus enjoyed extra freedoms that you and me, if we were alive at that time, we would not have enjoyed. Nicodemus enjoyed freedoms, um, you know, that others would have been crushed by the Romans. Nicodemus didn't get that same crushing. Nicodemus would have had a beautiful house, one of the best houses in all of the community. He would have had many different servants. Nicodemus would have eaten the best of the best food. Nicodemus would have rode around in horse-drawn carriages or maybe a human, you know, pulled, you know, carts or something like that. Nicodemus would have walked very little from place to place. Nicodemus then was a wealthy man. So when you think about this man, Nicodemus, and you think about the power that he has, you think about the status that he loves, right? You think about those kinds of things. Who does Nicodemus start to remind you of? And if the, answer, if the answer isn't something like you and me, then I think the answer would be wrong. Nicodemus would be more like you and me today, striving after our American dream. Just like Nicodemus, we're... We've got similar, similar things that Nicodemus had. As an example, we have a lot. We have so much. We lack for a little. Our needs are taken care of. Many of my wants, I get. And some of my dreams, I get to achieve. Are you with me? But like Nicodemus, we're bombarded because of the life that we live and the culture that we live in and this like chasing after the success and financial wealth and power and authority and status and title and freedom, freedom of my time, freedom to do what I want when I want to do it, go where I want to go when I want to go there then we are also, like Nicodemus, bombarded with things in this world that are you know, attacking us and keeping us from living a fully devoted life to God. Just like Nicodemus, many of us know a lot about God, but we don't know who Jesus is. Nicodemus knew quite a bit about God, but he missed out on the one person. But that's okay. Nicodemus was on a journey. He's on a journey to discover who Jesus really is. And then one day, Nicodemus gets a face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus. How many guys would think to yourself, like, if I had a face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus, it would change my life forever? Like, if I got to sit down with Jesus and get coffee and scones with Jesus, blueberry scones at that, right? If I got coffee and bagels or coffee and crepes, or if I met with Jesus, it would be four long shots of espresso, and I would say, Jesus, have you had four long shots of espresso? Holy cow, these are good. And I would be like, I didn't say holy cow. My bad. My bad. Um, 
my bad. I'm backing that one up. I'm backing that one up. These coffee beans are really good. Thank you for creating them. Right? If I had four long shots of espresso with Jesus, that would be a life-changing meeting. And you guys know that if you were able to have a face-to-face meeting with Jesus, it would change your life too. Just by hearing him, by able to ask some questions of him. This is what happens for Nicodemus. Nicodemus gets a one-on-one meeting with Jesus. It's recorded, actually. Take your Bible out, okay, because you're getting ready to watch this encounter, and it's going to walk right through the Scripture, so you're going to want to have your Bible probably on a phone because it's going to get dark in here, right? But if you've got your Bible and it's opened up to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, I want to show you a little glimpse of what happens, in fact, can I, just, can I just sample you really quickly? I want to start a statement. I want you to finish it, okay? John 3, if you said 16, then you're getting ready to hear, for the very first time, Nicodemus is the first person to ever have heard the words recorded in John 3.16, one of the most famous scriptures of all time. So let me back it up. Let me set up the scene for you here. This face-to-face encounter with Nicodemus gets challenged. Earlier in season one, Nicodemus, he tries to, as this Pharisee, he tries to cast a demon out of Mary Magdalene and can't do it. And he gets pushed back, right? I mean, basically, he fails at it. Then later in the, in the season, you see Mary Magdalene, and she's free, right? And, and Nicodemus sees her, and he goes, what happened? How, what, how did you get free? And she goes, I met this man named Jesus. So Nicodemus is now really intrigued with who is Jesus, Right? And, man, how can Jesus have the authority to cast that demon out? And I don't have it. And I'm a Pharisee, right? And I'm part of the Sanhedrin. Like, I'm one of the important people. How come Jesus is the one that can do it? And so he's intrigued with Jesus. And then he hears more about the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. And it just starts stirring the heart of this religious leader. And it actually starts to soften his heart as he's leaning in instead of pushing Jesus away. Guys, I'm going to tell you something right now. You push Jesus away, your heart gets hard. You don't understand everything about Jesus, but you lean into him, your heart gets softened by him. And I love that. I love that. Nicodemus is leaning in, and he's starting to wonder, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the one who's come to deliver us and set us free? Now, this clip is a little long, but I want you to watch it because it's John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Take a look. Welcome, Nicodemus. Don't be alarmed. He's waiting for you. I asked the owner of this house for more lanterns, but he said they would draw attention. Yes, I imagine they would. The human eye is drawn to light. We can't help it, it just happens. There are many things we are drawn to without our thinking or our ability to explain why. Thank you for agreeing to meet. Thank you for trying to help Mary when you did. No help. You were meant to be there. Me? So I could fail miserably 
at an exorcism in the Red Quarter? <laughs> if you had not been there that day, would you be on this roof tonight? Don't know where to start. I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. The Eastern slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, 
How can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students that she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. Here you are. The healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, and you'll see more. Follow you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I... I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? lead a nomadic life to, to give up who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? <laughs> uh, maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? 
take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. Kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and, and wonder. You can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. conversation, just one conversation changes it all. Jesus says to him, you got to be born again. He's like, what? I got a problem. My mom's dead. I was like, holy cow, that's good writing of a script right there. But he's telling him, you got to be born again. You got to come out of the darkness and into the light. I want to open up your eyes. I want to help you see things you can't see. Nicodemus, I'm challenging you. The kingdom of God is not something physical that's coming. It's something that's going to transform the, the heart of mankind, right? He's challenging him with the kingdom of God, with eternal life. He challenges him with the idea that he is the son of God. And then I love the artistic freedom that they took that you don't find in the Bible, that Jesus goes, Nicodemus, come follow me. And I've always thought to myself, you know, did, did everybody that Jesus said, come follow me, did, did all of them say yes? Were there some that Jesus said, come follow me, and they said no? I mean, isn't that the way it is today? Jesus offers, come follow me, right? He still offers that same call, and not everyone says yes today. So did everyone say yes then? I don't think so. But I think Nicodemus really shows us something critical here in this clip, guys, that you can know about God. You can know even who Jesus is, that he is the son of God. I think Nicodemus in that clip, it kind of portrayed that he came to this ending moment where he actually identified Jesus as the son of God. You can know who Jesus is and still miss out on the best. Nicodemus, this picture that you're getting here, Nicodemus believed, I think Jesus is the son of God. There's other scripture to support that, by the way. But couldn't give up his title, his position, his financial security, or his image to leave everything and follow Jesus. Later on in that episode, later on, Jesus is meeting with those who have said yes to follow him at the gate of Capernaum before they're getting ready to go. Nicodemus is hiding behind a building at the end of this episode, right? Hiding behind a building, close enough that he can listen, and the camera cuts to him. And all you see is Nicodemus weeping and weeping uncontrollably, he's standing at the building weeping uncontrollably because 
You can't give up everything and go and follow Jesus. And that's a sad day. It's a sad moment for Nicodemus. That he, he wants to go follow him, but he just can't give up his identity. He can't give up his comfort. He can't give up his status. He can't give up all the things he went and got his education for. So what's the challenge for you and me today? Here's the challenge. That Jesus is calling you. He's calling you and me to go beyond just believing in him. And he's calling us to live a bold faith because he is the son of God. You can live a bold faith because Jesus is is who he said that he is. So you don't have to settle for just having head knowledge about Jesus. You can live a bold faith that experiences the power of Jesus in your life. You don't have to hold on to your titles and positions and financial security and you know the dreams that you just have on this earth. You don't have to just hang on to those things as being the only thing that satisfies you. You can actually go on an adventure of discovering who Jesus really is and discovering his power and his authority working through your life. He invites you and me, like he invited Nicodemus. Go on a bold journey with me. Take your faith and make it bold. I don't know about you, but sometimes we lack boldness. Anybody else with me? Sometimes you stare difficult things in the face and you lack the boldness to say yes. Some of you are in that same place with your faith. You know who Jesus is, but you lack the boldness to really truly step out and follow him. You lack the boldness to go public for him. You lack the boldness to let the world know that you're a lover of Jesus. You're here. You know who he is, right? You do love him, but you lack the boldness to take it public. Jesus invites you and me to do that, and he goes, look, I will empower you with boldness. That's what Jesus did for those who said yes to following him, by the way. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we have a beautiful picture of that. It says this, members of the council, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had what? They had been with Jesus. I just want to say to you, where does true boldness in your faith come from? Being with Jesus. You don't just stir up boldness. You don't just become boldness. That normally, if you try to stir it up yourself, it normally becomes a word that's not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway because I like making up words, called dumbness. <laughs> if you try to stir up boldness, your own self, it becomes dumbness, meaning like you're going to push other people away. You're going to do things that are offensive. You're going to cross the line of what biblical truth is. True boldness is something that only comes when we've spent time with Jesus. I think that's what you discover with those who just said that they were going to follow him. So who needs more boldness in their faith today? No, seriously. Like, it's okay. You can put your hand up. It's a bold step to do that. Who needs more boldness in their faith today? Okay. All right. Nicodemus, he missed the first opportunity to be bold with his faith. If, if Jesus actually invited him to come follow him, Nicodemus missed the moment. He missed it. He let Jesus walk away knowing that he wanted to. But when given the second chance, did you guys know that Nicodemus was given another chance to be bold? When given the second chance, Nicodemus stepped out of the closet. Nicodemus came out of the closet with his faith, and he went, I'm going to be bold. When does it happen? It happens at the crucifixion. Right after Jesus dies on the cross, his body is hanging on the cross, and Nicodemus is one of the guys who comes to take him down. Take a look at John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. 
This is Nicodemus' second chance of being bold. So afterward, after the crucifixion and Jesus hanging on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple, say secret disciple. Secret disciple. Here, here's what I want to see. Joseph of Arimathea is part of the underground church of the day. The underground church. He knows there's opposition. He knows there's crushing. He knows that, you know, there's a lot of this pushback against Jesus. He's a secret disciple. He's part of the underground church because what? He feared the Jewish leaders. He asked Pilate, the governor of the day, the Roman governor, for permission to take down Jesus' body. And when Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and he took the body away. But watch, with him came who? Nicodemus, not just any Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at that Nicodemus, that Nicodemus and this Joseph. So what's Nicodemus doing here? Nicodemus is hanging out with secret Christians. I'm giving you a picture here. Nicodemus is part of the underground church right now. He does fear. He does worry, just like you and me. Okay, but when given a second chance, he steps out of the secret church into the public and goes, I'm not going to miss my second chance to be bold in my faith. That's what I see being laid out here. So what did he do? Okay, what did he do? He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloe. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spice in long sheets of linen cloth. Okay, just the two of them. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb that had never been used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for, what does it say next? The Jewish Passover. That may not make a lot of sense to you, but right now this is what it's saying. It's the beginning of a major holiday. We're off work. We're getting ready to celebrate there's going to be feasts, there's going to be celebrations, there's going to be parties, okay? And so because it was the day of preparation before this holiday, and since the tomb was so close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now look, Nicodemus does not miss the second chance to be bold in his faith. And one of the things that tells me about God is that we serve a God of the second chance. And today, today, if you feel like you've known who Jesus is, You've loved who Jesus is, but you haven't been bold with your faith, and you're wondering if you're fake, or you're not real, or if you can actually redeem yourself, or you can't. I want you to know we serve a God of the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and I can't even keep on going because I don't have enough time to tell you a God of the second chance. That's who we serve. That's who we serve. So here, what does Nicodemus do? Nicodemus brings 75 pounds. That's not a mistake. I don't know about you, but 75 pounds is not light. Amen? Like the only person that can truly carry 75 pounds for a long time, and some of the men are like, yeah, watch this, is the women. Only the women can do that, right? I've, only women can carry those babies like in two arms for as long. I stand there and I talk with some of you, and you're holding on that baby, and I've held my grandchildren. And about three seconds after holding them, I want to put them down. It's like, it's whatever they weigh, which is not 75 pounds, of wiggle, though. So, like, 15 or 20 pounds of wiggle equals, like, 100 pounds to me, all right? And, and so, it, he's carrying 75 pounds. What's so significant about that? Did you guys realize that 75 pounds would have been approximately the amount of perfume used in a burial for a king? 
So what does this say now about Nicodemus? It says, first off, he's wealthy. (laughs) But most importantly, he recognizes Jesus to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of the living God. And that Nicodemus would touch this body. So watch this. Nicodemus touches a dead body. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He knows that when he touches that body, he's now ceremonially unclean for seven days. At the beginning of a major holiday, he no longer gets to go to the worship service. He doesn't get to go to the party. He doesn't get to go to the celebration. And because he's a Pharisee and he's part of the Sanhedrin, when he shows up to these things, he's one of the honored guests. I want to say to you today, he took the second chance and he gave up his status, he gave up his image to declare his allegiance to Jesus, and that same offer is out there for you and me today, right now. So the question today is this, who needs more boldness in their faith? We serve a God of the second chance, but you're going to have to step out of the secret disciple category into the public disciple category, but when you do that... Our Lord and Savior, Jesus, is the one who gives you the boldness. He gives you the words to say when you don't know what to say, right? He gives you the boldness to stand there and to defend your faith when it's time to defend your faith. He gives you the tenacity to love people that are radically different than you. He gives you the grace to step into places that you don't think you know how to survive in, but yet all of a sudden, the light of Jesus Christ shines brightly. And what I love about what Jesus said, standing on that rooftop, is this. Man has a, like a, a, a desire to stare at the light. And Jesus wants the light of his gospel to shine bright in your life and be bold so that all of humanity can see it shining in your life. So today, here's the altar call today. As we get ready to worship, you need more boldness in your life, I'm going to encourage you to do something bold in worship. Take both hands if you can raise them, all right? And my shoulder's starting to get better, so I can start to raise it, right? You guys thought that I was, you looked at me, you're like, Pastor, man, your shoulder's all messed up, but yet you're you're raising your hand in worship. No, I was just doing some calisthenics. I'm just letting you know that. So I don't need to see any of you guys doing these kind of worship moves, all right? If you guys are doing these kind of worship moves, I was not worshiping that way. That was me just stretching my arm, all right? I was just stretching my arm. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take an opportunity in our singing time of worship. If you need more boldness in your faith, you stick both hands up and you worship the Lord and you ask him, fill me with boldness. Fill me with boldness. If you you need it and you want it, Here's my encouragement to you. Be bold. Step out of your, fa- step out of your, your place of where you're seated. Come down to these altars. Stand in worship. Kneel in worship. I don't, I don't care. But when you come down here, somebody is going to come, and they're going to meet with you. It may not be immediately, but someone is going to come, and they're going to pray with you. So you need boldness in your faith. Step out of the secret disciple mode. Step into the public disciple mode. Right? Jesus has given us another chance. Let's be bold with what he's given us. Why don't you stand with me? Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God of the second chance. That you are the God who gives us one more opportunity. You keep putting moments of faithfulness ahead of us. And you keep asking us to follow you. And to go where you're going. To be bold with where you're going. So Lord, today we are just human beings in need of boldness. You gave your disciples boldness as they draw near to you. And as we draw near to you today and we lift our hands to you or we come to an altar, Lord, we're asking for more boldness in our faith. Would you grant that to us? 
Would you stir the power of your Holy Spirit in us to let us be more bold and become more public with what we believe? Jesus, we know. We know you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we come and we worship you. Savior, King, Leader, and Lord. Amen.